loved, forgiven, and accepted. These are words we need to hear constantly. Thank you, Tim, for leading us into worship. Thank you, Justin, for the announcements and everything. Pastor Tom is on vacation for the next three Sundays, including this one. And uh, so here I am replacing him today. Next week, Justin, and then Walter. And uh, we uh, are anticipating a great time in the Word and together. I'm Pastor Serge. Uh, you are not familiar. So uh, today we're uh, coming to uh, James chapter 5, verse 13 to 18. Chapter 5 of the book of James brings James' letter to an end. First half uh, covered a warning to those who are rich employers, maybe among the diaspora, maybe not, uh, maybe indirectly connected. And uh, these people were oppressing the people of God, their employees, and so on and so forth. So James has some warnings to them. Then follow some instructions on various situations. Uh, patience when suffering is uh, in our life at the end of the uh, at the hand of the rich, most likely, as it follows this passage. Uh, honesty in our yes and in our no uh, when we commit to something. Then prayer and healing, which is what we're going to focus on today, and then wandering from the truth. So uh, today is about the place and power of prayer in the Christian life as well as in the life of the church. Uh, when I entered the ministry at the end of 99, beginning of 2000, I was preaching on the book of James, and uh, I looked about this passage, and it reminded me that uh, I had a lot of notes. I, I had five sermons over this passage from 12, 13 to 18. So uh, today, we're going to try to uh, condense that in hopefully 30 minutes, um, if I go overboard, uh, please forgive me uh, if I take a little bit of overtime. If you want to leave, I won't take it personally. Uh, it's a controversial passage. If you don't like what I'm going to say and you want to leave, that's okay. I won't take it personally. So it's, uh, it's a tough passage, and Justin has an easy passage next week. So I don't know how that worked out, but... Uh, it is what it is. So let's read this passage together. Is any one of you suffering? You should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is anyone of you sick? You should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that, he would not, that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three years and a half. Again he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crop. Let us quickly pray together before we enter this passage and more details. Lord, we come to you uh, and 
want to commit this time together to uh, your glory. We pray for your spirit to help us to understand this passage, how it applies to us today. And we pray that you will expand our minds about your ability to answer prayers and even bring healings in our life when we turn to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in this uh, passage, uh, James starts with a set of questions, as you've seen there, related to one's actual situation in life, and he provides some instructions as to what to do in these circumstances. So he covers three basic situations of life, suffering, happiness, and sickness. Every one of us, everyone in history as a matter of fact, but every one of us at some point in time will fall into one of these categories. So this applies to, uh, to, to all of us. So the text begs the question, where do we turn in times of suffering, in times of happiness, and in times of sickness as well? Let us cover each of these situations, starting with the first one. The first situation is about suffering. As we said there, verse 13 is saying, is any one of you suffering? NIV translates trouble, others facing adversity. The best translation is suffering in this uh, passage there. So it's a very general question. It doesn't address any of the reason, except if there is a link with the previous passage, the reason for suffering. So a lot of stuff can fit into uh, this, this category. And we all know, God knows, that there is a lot of misery out there. There is a lot of suffering in the world as well as in the church in the past history as well as today. Some churches suffers more than others because they are in historical, uh, geographical context that calls for persecution and suffering. So suffering can be caused by many reasons. It can take many different forms and can also have different sources. We can suffer physically, emotionally, mentally, psychologically, and when we suffer in one aspect of our person, the other aspect of our persons also suffer because we're all connected. Every aspect of our person is connected. When we suffer emotionally, it often leads to physical uh, suffering and vice versa. Suffering can also be caused by spiritual oppression, persecution, ostracization, Stress, anxiety, depression, PTSD, trauma, relational, financial situation, and even, sometimes, we don't like to hear about that, but as a result of God's discipline in our lives. Whatever the form, whatever the situation, whatever the reasons we're suffering, it doesn't matter. We're all invited to turn to God in prayer to plead with him, to wrestle in his presence with our situation, with our suffering, with petitions and supplications. We are invited to tell him about our suffering, how we feel, what we feel, 
and we're allowed to ask questions as well. It doesn't mean that we will get an answer, but we can ask questions. We can look at the book of Job's for some instructions about how Job approached his sufferings before God. The book of Psalms also is an excellent place to look at the prayers of King David when he was in despair, when he was fleeing, when he was suffering, and see what he was able to, to, to say. He was not suffering silently. He was suffering vocally in a conversation with God. Any one of you suffering, he should pray. If someone, if you tell someone, hey, I, I'm facing a, a very difficult situation, a situation I'm suffering a great deal, and the, 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 they don't sit down with you and hear you, they just tell you, well, you should pray. You know, how, how would you receive that? It's kind of uh, very simplistic as an answer. It, it may even sound insensitive. And yet this is what James tells his people, the readers of his letter. Is any one of you suffering? Turn to God. Start with God. Pray. Bring your burden before him. But very often that's not what we do. Sometimes we learn to live with our suffering and we make it part of our life and don't deal with it. Or sometimes we look and seek all kinds of complicated ways to deal with our sufferings. When in fact, turning to God is the first place to start. Now, it doesn't mean that God will not use secondary means to help you in your suffering. He can lead you to a friend, a counselor, or, you know, uh, there can be all kinds of ways to deal with the type of suffering that you have. But the first place to start is to start with God. So the question is, where do we, where do we turn when we are facing suffering, adversity? Sometimes we can even turn to panic, worries, discouragement. When we turn to God, he will provide either deliverance from what we're going through or most of the time he will give us a different or a new perspective and help us to look at our situation from his perspective and provide the strength that we need, that we didn't have, but that we need to go through and persevere through it. He will also provide comfort, encouragement, assurance, and these difficult times. And one thing we know from scriptures is that he will use this painful adversity, situation, suffering, fire in our life, to achieve his greater glory, but also our greater good. We will gain something through the process. He will also sharpen our understanding of this situation if we learn to not just pray and ask, but also learn to listen to his voice in our hearts. 
we'll learn more about hearing God's voice and the Abiding in Christ series. This is something that we all need to, to learn in our lives in order to gain intimacy with God and, and strength and direction. Second situation addressed by James. Is any one of you happy, cheerful, depending on the translation that you have? Let him turn to God and praise. Praise the Lord. See, good times in life can be as much as a test as bad time. Because when life is great, when things are going well, when the ride is smooth, we tend to neglect our spiritual life. It's easy to lose our spiritual focus. It's easy to neglect God. And in some cases, even forget God until something happens, unfortunately, that draws our, our attention and makes us realize, oh, maybe I need to come back. Where do we turn in times of happiness, in times of abundance, when life is great, James is inviting us to turn to God, to praise him, to be thankful, to be grateful, to recognize God's role in our lives and who we are and what we have, to recognize that God's role God has a role in our life. What we have and who we are is not just a result of our achievement. God is involved in that. We need to keep our focus straight about the eternal dimension of life, the spiritual dimension of life, because over time, when life is, is great and we neglect God, we neglect our assembly as well. We, become, we can become lukewarm. Even wandering from the truth, as the next passage and James refers to. Now, he doesn't give the reason, but nevertheless. James reminds us that we have to cultivate an attitude of thankfulness, an attitude of praise, an attitude of, that gives glory to God, that recognizes the role and place of God in our lives. Is anyone happy, cheerful? Let him turn to God and praise God. Then we have this third situation. It focuses on one particular kind of suffering, sickness. James makes a point, especially for this one. Is any one of you sick? Let's turn to God. He's not saying that directly, but that's what is going to happen. He should call the elders so they can turn to God for him and pray over him and anoint him with oil and pray and the name of the Lord. Now, this instruction comes with a promise, a promise of healing and also a promise of forgiveness if sin is involved in this situation. 
And this also uh, instructions comes with a parenthetical note uh, about mutual confession of sin to one another and uh, prayer for one another for the purpose of healing. So this, this is a loaded passage. Uh, it can be controversial, and it raises tons of questions. I mean, in 30 seconds, you can come up with 10 questions. Here are some questions that came to mind when I, I thought about questions raised by, raised by this text. Why call the elders? Why can't I pray myself or myself? Is this promise of healing 100% guarantee? Is this an absolute promise or is it relative? Uh, what is the, the prayer of faith that James is referring to in this passage? What is, and that's not the kind of questions we like to ask ourselves, but what is the role of my sins in this situation? Is uh, is it my sin that made me sick? Or you can turn it around and ask yourself, is God punishing me for my sin? That's why I'm sick. What happened if the elders prayed over me and I don't get better? Why aren't we practicing this teaching more regularly in our churches? Can healing be a process rather than an event as a result of prayer. What is the anointing oil? Why do we put God in a box when it comes to healing? Why do we often lack faith about what God can, can do in our lives, about even his willingness to, to heal? Because James is telling in the previous a passage there that the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. In other words, God is, is ready to do things that sometimes surprises us, but we don't see happening because we don't ask. So we're not going to cover all these questions because we're going to be here until later, but we'll try to cover a few of them. Question number one, why call the elders and not pray myself? Because James invited us to pray, uh, to turn to God and pray when we are in times of suffering. Well, in the ancient times, uh, until you know maybe 50 years ago, until the uh, the, the the advent of antibiotics and and modern medicine, uh, you know, when you were being sick, uh, it often led to death. Just a toothache, a cavity that turns into something complicated and, and turn into an infection could kill you in ancient times. So very often the sick person uh, was too sick to wrestle before God, to battle before God in prayer. And very often maybe they were even unconscious. They, they did not have the strength to, to pray, so they needed assistance. And so that's why James is, is saying, call the elders so that they can turn to God and pray, uh, pray over you. Why the elders? Why not friends instead that are part of my group? 
Well, the elders are supposed to be leaders in the church that are dedicated to the ministry of the word and to prayer. We read that in the book of Acts, chapter 6, verse 4. They're supposed to be more mature than the average in their faith, so therefore they have more uh, discernment when it comes to uh, hearing God about the situation. They're supposed to have more experience in prayer. They're supposed to have a righteous lifestyle, which is related to the power and effectiveness of prayer, as we see later in the life of Elijah. So it would make sense that James is saying, call the elders in this extraordinary situation so that they can pray over you and you can experience healing. However, as we saw about the parenthetical note, James is also inviting people at large to practice mutual confession of sins and prayer for one another for the purpose of healing. So every one of us is called to pray to first take care of our sins towards one another. I don't think we're talking about public confession here, but mainly about taking care of the offenses that we have caused to another person, resolve that issue, and pray for one another so that healing can take place. Question number two, what is the prayer of faith that James is talking about here? Well, that's a difficult question because it's the only place in the New Testament with this Greek expression, construction, is present. It's not found anywhere else uh, in the New Testament. So this prayer of faith is attached to the promise of healing. But whether it's a special kind of prayer or not, aren't all prayers supposed to be offered in faith? At the beginning of the letter, James chapter 1, verse 6 says, when you ask, believe, do not doubt, because if you doubt, you're not going to receive anything. And Jesus and the apostle John also spoke about the necessity of praying with faith, of having faith when we come to the Lord in prayer. Pray and believe and you will receive. An example of this, among many, is found in Mark chapter 11, verse 24. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. So when we pray, it's not like there is an option. You can pray without faith and pray with faith. Every prayer is supposed to be in faith. But I think this is a special kind of prayer here because of the unique Greek expression, but also because of the quasi-certain promise of healing in, in this situation and also because the elders are, are involved. So the prayer of faith, or the faith accompanying this prayer, is, is based on the guidance of the Lord. 
It's based on a conviction and an assurance that the Holy Spirit provided related to what he wants to do in a given circumstance. It's a prayer that is born out of discernment about the will of God in a given circumstance. James referred to Elijah the prophet as a, an example of uh, prayer with power and effectiveness. He says the power of a righteous man is, is powerful and effective. When you read the story of Elijah that the passage refers to, uh, there is a lot that you can be learned that you can learn about that. It, it's a story that relates to uh, Elijah um, confronting King Ahab there. And the first thing that he does when he comes on the scene is to predict that there will not be any rain for three years and a half. Then when you read the rest of the story, what comes many times is the word of the Lord came to Elijah and he did this. The word of the Lord came to Elijah and he did that. And at some point, after the three years and a half, when the Lord decided that there will be rain restored in the land, he told Elijah again, but even if God told him that rain was going to come back, Elijah nevertheless committed to prayer. So Elijah's prayer was guided by the word of the Lord that gave direction to his, to his life, his ins and outs, his prayers, his prophecy about and around the rain. Well, why bother praying if the Lord said it was going to happen? Well, he, he committed to prayer nevertheless. We read that he prayed earnestly. So because of these things, I believe the same thing is happening here when it comes to the prayer of faith with a promise of, of healing. It's a prayer that is guided by the Lord in a particular circumstance that is informed by by revelation of his will. Question number three, is the promise of healing in this text 100% guaranteed? Well, when you read this at first glance, it sounds like it. It appears so in this text. But so is the case with other passages about prayer uh, from Jesus and John when you read them. Mark eleven twenty four, as we read John 16, 1 John 3, 1 John 5. But we need to understand that this text is in light of the greater context of scriptures when it comes to healing and answering uh, prayer about healing or prayer in general. The real question here is, is it always the will of God to heal when we ask? Unfortunately, the answer is no. There is no time to go in details over this, but there are a number of passages in the New Testament that informs us that there are some people that were sick and they were never healed. Even the apostle Paul prayed for healing about the thorn that was in his flesh, and God said, my grace is sufficient for you. 
In other words, I will provide you strength. And there was a purpose for, for this um, problem that he was facing. However, here's what we need to understand about this passage. As skeptical as we can be or as believer as we can be, as we can be that God can heal, one thing is sure is that if we don't, if we never practice what this passage is teaching, if we never pray fervently and with faith and with expectation, and if we put God in a box about what he can do and cannot do about healing, very little healing will, will happen in our midst. It's practice, this, this teaching is practice here and there once in a while, but maybe we need to give it more consideration and have more uh, place for it in our lives. As we said before in verse 11 of chapter 5, we read from James that the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So we should pray with expectation. Question number four. Am I sick because of sin? What is the role of, of sin and my sickness, if there is any? Is there a relationship? Here, I don't want to open a door for Satan to start bothering you, accusing you that, oh, you're sick because you have a sin in your life and so on and so forth because Satan likes to do these kinds of things. But we cannot ignore maybe uh, this consideration. We need to ask the question, is there a relationship between sin and sickness? Well, in this passage, it sounds like the door is open, right? Uh, James says if the sick person has sinned, you know, the elders pray. If he has sinned, you will be forgiven. And then in verse 16, there is an invitation to take care of our sin, as we said earlier, towards one another for the purpose of healing. Why? Because unity within the body of Christ, love and holiness and the life of the church is important to Jesus. And it sounds like it's also important for the effectiveness and power in our prayer lives. So that's why James mentioned this. So is sin always in cause in times of suffering and times of illness? Well, the answer is no, not always, but it should be a consideration according to a number of passages, including this one and 1 Corinthians 11 in the context of the Lord's table. Now, when we approach the Lord's table, Paul says we have to, you know, be discerning. Uh, and, and because, he says, uh, many of you, among you are weak, sick, and even dead as a result of taking the Lord lightly. Now, we don't want people to not take the Lord's table next time because they're afraid that they might have committed some kind of sin and that they're not aware of because when we come to the Lord with sincerity of heart and confess our sin, he will forgive and cleanse us. But we need to be aware that sin may have a role in our lives and it may be related with some sickness. 
Not always, but we need to ask the question. Now, we're going to close this with the question of the power of prayer. James states that the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Then he refers to the example of Elijah, as we said before, who was able to shake heaven and earth, stop the rain for three years and a half, and restart it at the word of the Lord. Uh, this was in a situation that we said before was confronting King Ahab, who was an evil king, but also was giving a lot of power and room to the prophets of Baal. And in this story, it's about God and Elijah showing who is the real God and who is the true prophet of God in all of this. So I'm not going to go too much in details over that. You can read in 1 Kings chapter 17, 18 following. But James provides this example of Elijah to motivate people to turn to God for healing. He said, call the elders in times of sickness for prayer and anointing, forgiveness, healing, Inviting also one another to confess sins and pray for one another for the purpose of healing. So he wants to motivate people to turn to God and to bring us to have a holy life before one another. And he's saying that the same power that was available to Elijah and prayer is also available to those who are reading his letters. And if it is available to all of those who are reading his letter, it is also available to us today who, is reading, who are reading this letter. How can we experience the power of God, results, healing, how can we shake heaven and earth for the Lord, for our church, for our lives? I'm sure we all have things that are dear to our heart that we want to see accomplished in our lives and the lives of our family members. How can we see that happening? Well, this same power is available to us as it was to Elijah, it's not only available to super saints, prophet of gods, or apostles. James says Elijah was a man just like us. No more, no less. As we close in conclude there, we need to ask ourselves the question, what are the marks of an effective and powerful prayer according to James? Well, verse 16, we said Elijah was a righteous man. That is, he was living a righteous life that pleases the Lord, that practiced his commands. Here's a sample definition of what a righteous life is according to 1 John 3, 21 to 23. 
Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and we receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Relying on Christ and loving one another. So that's the reason why James inserted this parenthetical note about confessing our sins to one another and praying for one another. Because the one another aspect of the life of the church is important. So to believe in the name of his son and to love one another as he commanded us to do. That's what righteousness is all about. Second thing, Elijah prayed earnestly, that is fervently, seriously, intently. Uh, he didn't give up. He wrestled before God in prayer. Even though the Lord told him, this is what I want to accomplish, he still prayed about it until it was done. Third thing, he prayed according to the will of God because as we said, God told them this was going to be accomplished. First uh, John 5.14 tells us the same thing. And fourthly, he prayed with faith, expectation that God will accomplish. This is the kind of prayer of faith that James is referring to. That's what was happening in the life of Elijah. A, a prayer of faith that is informed by the will of God, by the conviction and assurance that God will do what he said, that what I have discerned, through prayer, uh, is the will of God. Our faith is influenced by the word of God. Our faith is also influenced by our view of God and also by hearing him in prayer. We often pray, but we don't take the time to, to listen. More about this in the fall, as we said earlier. Our faith is also informed by what we think God thinks about us. We sang about that this morning earlier. We are loved, forgiven, accepted, but we think very often, not good enough, I've done this, I've done that. Well, no. What we think God thinks about us influences our faith and our confidence when we approach him. And we need to pray in the name of the Lord. So we will conclude here. So where do we turn in times of suffering, happiness, sickness? James is inviting us to turn to God. That's the first place we need to turn to and receive what we need. Or the next step and in the instructions he has for us about our request. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your great heart of compassion, of mercy, of willingness to hear us, to receive us, to give us what we need, or a replacement of what we think we need that often is better than what we're asking. So we can trust that when we approach you, we will receive what we need, and more than what we need.
Lord, we pray that you will glorify yourself through our lives, through our prayers before you. We have tons of requests. And Lord, we know you care for each one of them. And we pray that you teach us to pray in the coming weeks, but not only to pray, but to be committed to prayer and also to, to listen to what you have in response to our requests that are brought before you. We thank you because you are a good father. You have good things in store for each one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.